So this is the start of our summer worship series, message series of spiritual cinema. And I'm going to be talking some about spiritual television, the best show on television, which is now ended. Reverend Ken will say otherwise, but he has told me he never watched this show. So I'll be talking in part about Battlestar Galactica. But first, I'm going to read some words about everything being holy now. These aren't my words. I am in love with this world. I have nestled lovingly in it. I have climbed its mountains, roamed its forests, sailed its waters, crossed its deserts, felt the sting of its frost, the oppression of its heats, the drench of its rains, the fury of its winds. And always have beauty and joy waiting on my comings and goings. These are the words of writer John Burroughs. But I share them with you because I feel them. I love this earth. And I love its people. And I hope you too are in love with the earth and with its people. I hope, like me, you fall in love with the earth on the sacrament of every new morning and fall in love with its people over and over every day, even when you find them annoying or frustrating. We still can be in love. One of the questions that's in your order of service, questions for reflection at the bottom of the order of service, is how do you care for what you love? For me, this is a question for frequent reflection. Really, how do I, how do we care for all the things we love? Tomorrow is Memorial Day, a day in which we honor the warriors who took action for what they loved, their country, their families, maybe their comrades. Marianne told us about some of the ways that she and others here at Wellsprings have been acting in love through our connections and service, Wellsprings people have been acting in love with the clinic in Phoenixville, with Habitat for Humanity, with offerings to the food bank, and with all the things that we do as individuals and families. So I am filled with love and joy for you, for the earth, for life, for this lovely world, and I am scared. Love and fear, hope and urgency. And why am I so frightened? I am frightened because I love. Because I love the earth. Because I love you. you, Some of you know that I've been taking seminary classes, which are now finished. (laughs) Um, And that I was away from Wellsprings for the month of January, completing my classes. And when I came back in February, uh, lots of people asked me, you know, what it was like and what I learned. So I'm going to tell you some of what I learned this morning. This is from these reflections come from a class that I took that was called Practical Theology, Nature, Community and Ministry. And in both the reading for that class and even in the classroom itself, I experienced Hope and fear, love and urgency. My fear is based on the growing realization 
that it, in fact, may already be too late to save this planet from ecological disaster. I don't want us to forget love and beauty, joy and hope, but it is also true that it may be much too late. Claire Butterfield was a Unitarian Universalist minister and the instructor for this class that I took. And the Sunday before the class start, none of us knew Claire. And she was guest preaching at another congregation. So we decided to go out and hear her. First, we drove the wrong direction and realized we were going the wrong way when we arrived in Indiana. (laughs) I was coming from Chicago, but the congregation was also in Illinois. But we got there in time. And... Claire told us about methane chimneys. Ever heard of meth- Has anybody ever heard of methane chimneys? A couple scientists? Um, well, methane is a much more, about 20 times more powerful greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. And for whatever reason, I am not enough of a scientist to know why, methane has been stored for a long time under the permafrost in the Arctic. So as the Earth has been getting warmer, Little holes appear in the permafrost, little holes that become like vents or chimneys and release this methane into the atmosphere at a much faster rate than normally would be the case. And scientists think that these chimneys may be increasing the pace of global warming. So Claire woke me up. And I have to say, Claire is a person about this high with a quiet voice. But she woke us up. And I started paying more attention. Recent reports include that the Antarctic glaciers are melting faster and across a much wider area than previously thought. Scientists are now warning that a global temperature increase of four degrees Celsius is increasingly likely and perhaps unavoidable. This increase would put millions of people worldwide at risk of coastal flooding. There would be a significant decline in the fresh water availability. Perhaps up to half of all plant and animal species might go extinct, which would mean we wouldn't really have enough food. I know this is depressing, and I'm coming around to other stuff later. It is depressing. There may be more storms and possibly more powerful storms. New York City, London, and Tokyo might all be underwater. Uh, British scientist James Lovelock is an interesting character. He's still writing and researching, and he's um, getting quite elderly. He was the originator of the Gaia hypothesis. Anybody know what the Gaia hypothesis is? couple of people. It's the idea that Earth is a self-sustaining system, self-sustaining and self-healing. He's also quite independent, described as a climate science maverick. So what he says is not what all the other scientists believe. But I still found what he said to be interesting because he's one that believes that global warming is already irreversible and nothing can prevent the planet becoming, much of the planet becoming too hot to inhabit or sinking underwater. And he believes that we need to start planning now, planning now how to survive. 
He actually does not predict that the earth would become uninhabitable for human beings. Only that 90% of the current human population would need to be gone. The population be reduced. Tom Athanasau, I'm probably butchering his name, is a director of a group called Equal Equity. And he says nothing we could do now to stabilize carbon could be too fast or even fast enough which doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. With climate change occurring faster than scientists have the ability to predict and their impacts greater than anticipated, we can't have an international deadlock. He said, and perhaps it was reading this that has led in part to my talking to you about this this morning, he said, maybe the most important thing that we can do is to communicate the severity of this situation in a way that gets through people's defenses. So I am sobered, concerned, and yes, frightened. And I am frightened because I love. Ever since I was a little girl and a Girl Scout, I pick up trash when I go on hikes in the woods, which sometimes annoys my hiking companions. We used cloth diapers when my daughter was a baby. We were part of the first pilot recycling program in the town we lived in. I reduce, reuse, and recycle and take the bags to the grocery store when I remember them. But I am changed by what I learned this winter and feel a need to do more for what I love. I'm not always sure what that is, that's for sure. That's part of why I asked that question. But I need to do whatever I become aware that I can do. And so one thing that I want to do is communicate that now is the time for real and sustained action and for whatever you may find yourselves able to do. And yet there is a March 2009 Gallup poll that said 41% of the American people think this is made up or exaggerated, that it isn't a real threat. So I think how... How can I, and and then too, how can you communicate that it's not an exaggerated threat? We don't know exactly what will happen or when it will happen, but there's no doubt in the scientific community that it has been happening and we need to do something. So how, how can I communicate, how can others communicate that it is time for that action? Well, one way you communicate is through stories, through mythology, and even through pop culture, like Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> the other night at the Habitat dinner, some people were asking about it. I don't think I said very much about what I was going to say about it, but uh, some asked if they should go watch it. And, and I said, well, you might want to wait till you hear what I have to say, in part because I think to really get it, to get how excellent this series was. You have to watch the whole thing, all four years, (laughs) and in order. Although, you know, when you get the DVD, none of those commercials, you can just watch much quicker. So you might think now, hearing me talk about that this is my favorite TV show, an excellent TV show, that I'm an even geekier person than you thought before. And perhaps I am. (laughs) But I like science fiction not for bizarre alien creatures or because they have never-ending battles with cool razor guns or spaceships. I I usually don't even pay much attention to those parts. 
Now, I like science fiction because by changing just a few things, science fiction can ask questions and get us to look at things in new ways. We can see more about who we are and who we are becoming. The executive producer, one of them for Battlestar Galactica, David Icke, called it an allegory for the most difficult and sensitive subjects of our cultures. This show addressed human rights, terrorism, torture, the nature of conflict and religious fundamentalism, what's God or what are the gods, um, the abuses of power. And they looked at all of these subjects honestly, really without flinching. Some of the folks that you thought were the heroes were ones who later committed tortures. Some of the ones who you thought were the bad guys and the enemy did generous, loving, courageous things. So let me just give you a one sentence, or maybe two, version of the plot. Battlestar Galactica is about, I guess it's supposed to be many, many, many years ago, but that's not very clear, certainly at the beginning of the show. Uh, Human beings who look like contemporary human beings and dress like contemporary human beings and have a planet like ours, actually existence on several planets, have invented robots who have done lots of work. And like lots of plots that involve the invention of robots, the robots rebel and become enemies um, and attack the humans. And in fact, when this series begins... The humans don't know this, but the robots have become organic machines who look just like human beings. And they are about to destroy humanity. In fact, they have destroyed all the planets where humanity exists, and there are some 40,000 human beings left alive in spaceships trying to find Earth and being chased by the Cylons, who are the robots. So that in itself sounds like pretty typical science fiction plot, and in fact, the the plot was used for, and the name for a couple of other TV shows earlier that were just campy science fiction. But this, this show asked serious questions and looked at them thoroughly. One of the things I really liked about this show is that it truly developed its characters over the years of its existence. None of them were fully good or fully evil. They were always quite human. So they asked, what does it mean to be human? How do you know who you are? Some of the characters were Cylons who'd been programmed to think that they were humans. How do you know who someone else is? Can you really trust? How do you trust? Can you really love someone who's different from you? Can you really make peace with those who are enemies? Ronald Moore, another producer, said he wanted people to think about the world that they live in and about the human beings sitting next to them. But most of all, the show asked how human technology could lead to the destruction of our planet. One of the main characters, Apollo, they had a lot of them had names of the Greek mythology. He said, Apollo said, our brains always outraced our hearts. Our science charges ahead. How, he asked, can we change that? Battlestar Galactica Galactica asked the question that's the same question in essence that Claire asked us in the class and that I came away from Chicago with, which is how in fact do we live if it may be too late? The people in Battlestar Galactica were literally trying to save the remnants of humanity. 
they asked and acted, how do you live if you think you're doomed? And I want to tell you, would not, for most of the series, want to base your behavior on theirs. They were very human. The Cylons, the robots were human. The humans were human. But through the years of this series, we saw them all grow. They all grew through love. One of the lead characters, the admiral of the spaceship, Bill Adama, said, It's not enough to survive. One has to be worthy of surviving. It's an interesting question. How does one become worthy of surviving? Are we worthy of surviving? I think so. I was talking to my 30-year-old daughter, who's much more of a cynic than I am, and talking to her about these things, and she said, no, she didn't think we were worthy of surviving. But I think so, and I hope that you think so. I have heard some people say that perhaps the planet would be better off without us. Perhaps the planet would heal more quickly if we weren't here. Maybe that's true. But for me, that's not the answer. So the TV series concluded. The TV series concluded on hope, on a note of hope, and that humans are worthy of survival. The survivors survivors settled on a new planet, a beautiful new planet. turns out to be Earth, Africa, as a matter of fact. The half-human, half-robot baby, the robots have learned to reproduce with humans by this time, um, is postulated to be the ancestor of all of today's Earth humans. But that's the fictional part. Those who are still alive repented. They repaired their relationships. They learned patience, love, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Mary McDonald played the president of the humans on the series, and she said, the show created hope. We showed that the key to human survival and growth is forgiveness. The characters, the main characters, gave up their ideas of dualism, of all good and all bad. And they learn to respect and communicate with the other. In the end, and I don't think this is what we need to do, but in the end, they gave up almost all of their technology because they thought that's what they needed to do to treat their new planet with care. So this was a TV show that intentionally created a mythology. Where is our hope? Where is your hope? How do we live to survive and to be worthy of surviving? I said at the beginning that I love the earth. Battlestar Galactica presented love and forgiveness as saving. And it's the universalist message that there is a saving love for us all. You may not know that there's a branch of theology that's called ecofeminists, but there are. And ecofeminist theologian. Rosemary Radford Ruther wrote that to save the earth, what we need is neither optimism nor pessimism, but committed love. This means we remain committed to a vision and to concrete communities of life like this. We remain clear that life is not made whole once and for all. It is made whole over and over again every new day. Is a sacrament. Being rooted in love for our real communities of life and are for our common mother, 
Gaia, or Earth, Bradford writes, can teach us a patient passion, a passion that's not burnt out in a season, but can be renewed season after season, day after day. Committed committed love, patient love, is not passive. Love is action. If you love, you pay attention. You pay attention to your children, to your spouse. You pay attention to what you love. And you give care to what you love. You take action. And this kind of action doesn't expect immediate results or immediate response. It is patient. Claire Butterfield and my classmates inspired me and gave me hope as well as fear because each of them is committed to taking loving action in their own places in the country. Claire founded an agency called Faith in Place, which is a Chicago community ministry. Faith in Place intends to give religious people the tools to become good stewards of the earth. This is their mission. They state that there are two great responsibilities of all common to all faiths, to love one another and to care for creation. Faith in place creates a hopeful and welcoming space for people of all faiths to fulfill those responsibilities. And they do. In the 10 years that she's been working in Chicago, she now has 500 congregations that work with the agency. And they are Unitarian Universalist, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, and Baha'i groups. And while we were there in Chicago, we visited a Reconstructionist Jewish synagogue, which had built a beautiful new synagogue building that was totally green. They had built their building recycling 96% of their old building. And as they live in that building, they continue to ask themselves day to day and week to week how they can live sustainably in their building and in their community. Also during that week... We went to a poor, drug-filled neighborhood in Chicago where there was a farm, an urban farm. This farm hired people who were ex-offenders or homeless people to give them job training, and it was a community-supported agriculture program which supplied fresh, organic greens to the inner-city neighborhood. I was really impressed, and I was impressed by the enthusiasm and energy of the young farm manager who was both really into farming in the city and really into people. I was amazed by some of the hopeful things that I witnessed in Chicago. They also have honey co-ops and beekeepers and beehives in the city. In fact, there are beehives on the roof of the Chicago City Hall. Who knew? (laughs) We visited a place that had been 17 acres piled 17 feet high with garbage and rubble and debris for years. They cleaned it up, and now they have a model green building there, the Chicago Center for Green Technology, which helps homeowners to know how to do green remodeling of their homes. So in the city of Chicago, I found love and hope and inspiration. I found people attending to their deepest values, to what they love, and attending to their spiritual practices. I found people building genuine communities. I think, in part anyway, hope grows from committed, loving action, and hope grows from spiritual practice. 
Faith in Place works with religious communities and communities of prayer and practice communities like Wellsprings. We need spiritual practice to sustain us, to help us to discern what we are called to do, what we are called to do for each other, for others in the community, and yes, I think what we are called to do to help heal the earth. Because we don't have spaceships that are ready to take us looking for new planets. We need spiritual practices to sustain us when we feel frightened or despairing. You may need to go do some meditation after this service. But we've got a joyful song to pick the energy up. We are called here at Wellsprings to do just that, to attend to our deepest values, to reflect, to pray, and then to act. Let us ground our actions in love, in prayer, and in knowledge. Unitarian Universalist minister and writer Gary Kowalski wrote that knowledge is linked with love, for it's not with dominion over living things, but through shared communion with them that we reach the most complete understanding of what it means to be alive. Knowledge can then be changed to wisdom. We must love our way to a deeper knowledge of life. Tenderness and truth walk hand in hand. Jane Goodall reminds us we can only understand, only if we understand can we care. But the reverse also holds. Only if we are able to care shall we fully understand. This morning, we sang, everything, everything is holy now. I think that's a shared sense in Wellsprings congregation. In any case, I believe that's so. Everything is holy. And this holiness calls us to live with reverence and love and wisdom. So may we be guided to right action, right relationship with each other, right relationship with the earth and all its people. And may you live in the daily knowledge of love. Amen. Will you join me in a prayer? Source of everlasting love, spirit of life, we are full of gratitude for the gifts of life and love. Even in our sorrow and fear, we remember love. May we remember joy. We remember that our sorrows come from our deep loves. Help us to love freely, to experience joy, and to let go of our fears. May we see the ways to grow as a community of healing and transformation. May we live in beauty and celebration, in love and in joy. This is my prayer this morning. Amen. Blessed be.